What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Inking Out Loud. I'm your host, Rob Santos, joined, as usual, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And we're joined once again by our peon, Jared Livingston. What's up, Jared? Ooh, <laughs> What is a peon? Yeah, it occurred to me sometime around the introduction of Galactic Emperor Jared Livingston that I really can't keep upping the ante by just reaching higher and higher. Oh, ab- so we can. We're going to mix it up a little bit this kind of week. And I think, you know, it kind of fits with the theme of the Black Company. Where are the average soldiers? The ordinary <laughs> men on the battlefield, you know? Anyway, I hope this is pretty obvious by now, but we are marching forward, if you will pardon the expression, with our read-through of Glenn Cook's Books of the South, today discussing Dreams of Steel, otherwise known as The Book of Lady. Drew, would you kindly explain what happened here? All right. So, as Rob said, this is The Book of Lady. It picks up with Lady narrowly surviving the fiasco outside of Dejigore and uh, slowly recovering herself, her powers, and trying to rebuild the Black Company as a few of the company survived, including Mogaba and Mergen and Goblin and One-Eye, but they were trapped in Dejigore, while Lady was one of the few who survived outside. And she acquires a couple of new assistants named Narayan and Ram, and uh, with their help, starts building a new army. And as she uh, moves through this process, she discovers that Narayan and Ram are, in fact, members of a cult called the Deceivers, or the Stranglers, and they worship Gina, a goddess of death and chaos. Uh, Lady comes to realize that they think she is part of a prophecy they have regarding the Daughter of Night, and believes that she herself is uh, the Daughter of Night, and so she kind of tries to use them as they're trying to use her, and uh, she goes along, kills a few hundred Taglian priests along the way because they were uh, gumming up the works, uh, kills Shadow Spinner, relieves the uh, the siege of Dejigore, but in turn, Shadow Spinner's armies uh, break open some aqueducts and flood the plain around Dejigore, leaving, leaving the city stranded. Uh, despite not having the forces to keep it, you know, kind of besieged anymore. Lady does go and perform the rituals with the Deceivers to be indoctrinated, to to swear to the darkness, so to speak. And uh, all this time, she's been getting sick. And after swearing to serve Kina, uh, she finds out she is in fact pregnant. And she gives birth at the end of the book, and the Deceivers promptly steal her baby, who is the real daughter of night. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's about where we're left at the end of this book. Yeah? Okay. Um, I'm glad to know that I didn't really miss too much. Uh, I, I, I started telling you guys right before we went live, I'm going to have some complaints in this book, more than I've had in previous books about style. I think it's time just to get a whole bunch of stuff that's I'm building up off mm-hmm. of my chest going through the Black Company here. And I've touched on this before, uh, but it's, I'm going to be going a little more in depth, or maybe just offering some more context as to why I feel this way. And it's not all going to be negative. Some of it's going to be positive. Most of it will be on my character discussions. Um, but for style, uh, brace yourselves. Um, I love his ideas, his being Cook, Glenn Cook. 
but I hate his fucking style. So f bomb right out of the gate on this one. <laughs> I swear. What do you What do you hate about it? Reading this book re- or this entire series, it's been taxing in a way. Um, I've explained my issues with this with this narrative style. For me, uh, it's his prose, uh, Cook's prose. At times, it can be so bland. It, it doesn't. He doesn't seem to want to use any punctuation besides the period. I've got a quote here from the very beginning of the book. The party did not move on till Shadow Master was the Shadow Master was consumed. The fire burned to ashes and the ashes cooled. The stump thing gathered the ashes. As it traveled it disposed of those pinch by pinch. The men with the arrow in him bobbed in the stump thing's wake. The stallions brought up the rear. The crows maintained their patro- their patrols. Once a large cat-like thing came too near and went into paroxysms. The stump did something mystical. The black leopard wandered away, absent of mind. It just reads so goddamn monotonous at times all right and i will be continuing with that but i'll let you jump in if you'd like so this is this is one of those things uh that i i would argue this is not glenn cook's style this is lady's style lady is not a writer lady is sitting down and and we see we know from the end of the book that she's doing this while she's recovering from giving birth and and she she herself is bored out of her mind and antsy to get moving again. And she's writing this out of what she sees as a sense of duty. She's not a, she's, you know, she's not a writer. She's not a historian like Croker. She's not even a, you know, a farmer like Philodendron Case was. She is, she is somebody who doesn't spend a whole lot of time on things that she sees as minutia. She wants to but we go said straight this, to the point and get it done. We said the same thing about Croker though. No. I mean, take take the opening page of, like, chapter one. The opening pages of the Book of Lady and the last pages of the Book of Lady. Phenomenal. Her voice. I was so excited to jump into the Book of Lady on in chapter one because she has this very strong narrative voice that I really, really liked. To me, it just kind of felt like the, the, a lot of what's, what was in between was just the descriptions. It, again, it was it, it felt so monotonous. You, you want to know? Here, I'll give you another one, okay? Because I have... That is very strange to me. I have I a couple. I find it monotonous at The all. armor she had made at the temple was a copy of Lady's Lifetaker rig. Their appearance would leave all the principals completely confused. His Widowmaker was supposed to be dead. Lady's Lifetaker was supposed to be in Taglios. Neither was supposed to amount to anything in Sorcerer's terms. The besieged would be stunned. Spinner's men would be dismayed. Longshadow might suspect the truth, but would not be sure. Smoke and the Taglian Prince and his sister would be baffled. Even Lady would be confused. She believed him dead. Eleven yeah, sentences. Great no writing. punctuation besides a single period at the end of those sentences. Yeah, but not a that comma doesn't anywhere. mean it's bad. The sentences... Uh, it, the sentences establish a rhythm, and this is what he's doing here. Some of the sentences are short, very direct and to the point. Some are longer, and even though he doesn't have punctuation, there are separate phrases in them. You know, like, it, right. it's it's establishing an ebb and flow in the rhythm. And you don't need, you know, M dashes and semicolons and everything to, to have good writing. Or even like, a comma anywhere in those 11 sentences. It's just, again, it it. just, it reads a statement, 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 statement over and over and over and over again. And it got, it put me to sleep so many times. That's not a problem. For me, Um, it's, yeah, sorry. That's so weird to me. Do we think, do we think maybe this particular style is hard with the audiobook as opposed? Oh, I'm going to have a lot to say great about the audiobook. I will be glowing about the audiobook. 
Because I can see how some of that might be a problem listening to it. I, I listened to the book for the first, I'd say, four hours of the audiobook, and then the remaining, which was five and a half hours of the audiobook. It was about, the first 40% of the book was audio, 60% was reading afterwards. I bought both, both versions. Hmm. Personally, I found it very refreshing to read from Ladies POV. <clears throat> From the POV, yeah. I think I, I would agree just in general, some of his style is the same that it's been for the entire series where it's kind of hard and you have to go into it with a certain mindset when you're reading it. But I certainly didn't have trouble getting through this one like I have in some other uh, points in the previous books. I liked some of her sense of humor and her little side comments and like it was just refreshing to me. Yeah, I'll have some of those. She, yeah, go ahead. She is interesting, I, I admit. Like, uh, obviously, she doesn't have the same sense of humor as Croker. And, and there is overall less humor. This is a dark book in a lot of ways. And, and in a lot of ways that none of Croker's books are dark. Um, but it, every time I read it, I feel like I have forgotten how funny she is, though. Like, even though she doesn't have the same focus on humor and, and like, the the slapstickiness of the company, she's still, like, really sarcastic and cynical and and has a couple of, like, tongue-in-cheek remarks that, that always make me, you know, chuckle a little bit. She had a few of those that made that reminded me of Croker and that made me realize that they've really changed one another, you know? Um, yeah, she even, she even, like, makes a couple of comments where she's like, Croker wasn't here to say this, so I said it yeah, myself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as Lady goes in her head, I, like, I feel like it's fine. It was. It's just there are other things, long drawn out paragraphs that I feel like Cook himself bleeds through more than the character, and it just gets it gets um, formula very for, not even say formulaic because that implies multiple variables. Uh, how about okay detail? I was mostly harping on punctuation at first there, but how about detail here? Take this moment when Croker finally reveals himself to the Taglians nearer to the end, and he has a quote. He's not all that bad. He walked into a trap trying to do what he thought was right. His problem is he gets an idea in his head and he can't get it out if it's wrong, no matter what evidence you hit him with. He decided we were the bad guys, come back for general mayhem, and he couldn't. Or, and he just couldn't change his mind. <laughs> I can't speak. Probably never will. If you execute him, he'll die thinking he's a hero and a martyr who tried to save Taglios. I think I can waken him. When I do... You stand by to stick him if he tries any tricks. Even a puny de wizard is deadly when he wants. Croker took an hour but did tease the, the wizard out of his life's twilight and got him to choke out his story. Afterward, the prince asked, what can we do? Even if he's as contrite as he says. And I'm just stopping there. Like, what? After all of that we got out of Croker about this guy's motivation and his convictions for the chance to interrogate him, get two sentences. Before we continue with this exact same conversation, Croker took an hour, did this, this happened, and then we continue with the conversation. I was like, well, yeah, because everything that was explained in that afterward, everything, we already knew all that because we've had Smoke points of view. That's like, this is the story that Smoke told to Croker is what's recorded earlier in the book. Like, he's not going to spend time retreading the same ground. Okay. That, you, okay. All right. I can accept that. I can accept that. I just, the style, I, yeah, <laughs> I'm so, I wish all of these characters and all of these ideas could have been, I don't know, given, like, 
I do like the story, and I love uh, many of these characters, and I hate the ones that I'm supposed to hate, too. The character work is phenomenal. The setting is phenomenal. The plot is phenomenal. The voice with which it's delivered gets on my nerves. I can see that. That is very interesting to me. I figured like, it was going to be interesting, I can understand. Too. I can understand why you know some people would dislike or, or not necessarily love things with cook style it's just like the specific things you're pointing out are are not the usual ones that it, it kind of baffles me <laughs> hmm. I, it just it's, it's it's like everything's in in monochrome it's just what would you what are, what are the usual ones yeah that's a good question um the the usual ones are much stronger in in the uh, books of the north and it's skipping over big battles you know things like in the first book when they get the the word comes down that they need to go take the fortress at deal and croaker's like so overnight we went and did it and then we get like <laughs> yeah yeah like a whole chapter of them just sitting around in the fortress playing cards and chatting instead of actually showing the battle and i'm like and i know that was a deliberate choice on cook's part because he's like look this is more like the reality of being a soldier but when, once we get into the books of the South, you know, uh, Shadow Games and this one, we're seeing the battles a lot more. We're seeing more of the detail. Um, and and it's, it's less like brushing over things that you would anticipate are major, you know, plot points. I don't want to, to, to make this a condemnation of Cook as a writer so much as I just want to... To, to ex explain that this is very this is a, just a very personal thing it's it's <laughs> what i have read growing up and what i have come to expect to read the detail i expect to get the words i expect to hear uh, that is just so shaken up by cook's narrative style and i can't find ground inside it i just I, I spend so much of my time wondering what the hell is happening because i'm not paying attention to things that i don't know to pay attention to and i'm looking for things that aren't there it's like oh my god it, it's just this it's all one, over the place for me this one was interesting to me because i felt like in a lot of ways less happened plot wise but i blazed through this one a lot faster than i did shadow games yeah when i feel like a lot more happened plot wise i i agree with that i think this book is super breakneck paced because mm -hmm really because of two things um one it's lady now it's we have a new point of view you know a new analyst and so there's that like sense of the new that you're that's dragging you along like ooh, this is fun and different and secondly that we're starting to get answers there are new mysteries being um brought up but old mysteries are starting to get some answers and uh and that's going to be a theme as we you know as we head into the books of glittering stone next um like obviously you know we we have a little more um uh, a little more of an idea of the company's origins after reading dreams of steel and you know we we've you know we we found out that you know for instance mogaba and the nar you know they are part of like uh the old company's tradition and that they were Kino worshippers, you know, like the deceivers. And you can see the similarities, like once you know that and you look at the way the deceivers are organized where they have bands or companies and there's like one head priest who has to keep the chronicle of their band, 
And it's like, oh, so these are very similar to the structure of the three mm -hmm. companies of Kadavar. Um, and so we're getting those answers, but at the same time, now it's like Glittering Stone is getting rammed into our faces, and, and there are yeah. no answers about it. It's like, <laughs> so what a lot of is those going on with <laughs> yeah. this my, plane of Glittering Stone? In like, my miscellaneous points and my predictions, I do I do bring this forward a few times. And I'm, I'm done the vast majority of my complaining. As you're going to see, <laughs> the rest of this episode, for the most part, is going to be compliments. I don't want anyone to think that oh Rob just 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 has this hate boner for a cook and he just refuses to see the good. There's going to be a lot of good. Watch me go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I think. I think I don't have any more uh, style points myself. I'm just going through my notes real quick here to make sure. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm ready to talk about uh, some character stuff and some story things. Okay. Okay. Begin with our new analyst, Lady. Yeah, let's do it. So, I can't decide if I like Lady more or less than I did coming out of Shadow Games, despite the fact that we've now had an entire book of Lady. She is just so callous. It, she I means she's oh, certainly... Yeah badass but she takes control of things in such a way that i can't really approve of it doesn't feel good to me she rules like a ruthless dictator her goals are, are driven far more by personal vengeance than out of anything like benevolence i admire her respect and her dedication to croaker or, or at this point what she thinks is croaker's memory but it's still it's it's shocking at times to see this woman towards whom i'm st i was starting to melt suddenly get involved with a seriously disturbing death cult. Yeah. Like, reading Lady, for me, is like smell... <laughs> this is going to be a really weird analogy. It's like, It was like smelling <laughs> a Ukrainian kitchen cooking with, like, garlic and onions and butter. At the same time, I get a whiff of dog <laughs> It's like there's something <laughs> even more nauseating than the dog <laughs> alone just for the combination of those two. I want to like her. I really do. But I can't condone her, and so it leaves me so torn. I I agree exactly. Yeah. I really like her as a character. I think some of her judgment here is really frustrating because it's like this oh, whole yeah. this whole yeah. time she's like hanging out and you know working up an alliance with these cult members, and the whole time she keeps telling herself <laughs> like. This isn't good. This isn't good. Like these guys, they're going to turn on me. And then it keeps going and going. And at the end of the book, <laughs> what do you know? Like, what do you think was going to happen? Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's, I, I love lady as a character because she is so complex. She, she is somebody that you really have to grapple with all sides of her before you can Agree. really judge her as a person. Um, and what I think is most attractive about her to me is that basically that Croker was right all, all those years ago. Croker was right that there was always and is still a spark of light inside the dark soul that Lady bears. And, uh, and, and it's those moments of like vulnerability for her. And when she does show compassion for other people that are like, these these wonderful breaths of fresh air uh amidst you know this quagmire of ethical and moral problems <laughs> like yeah <laughs> where where she she goes from one scene of you know 
thinking about like how raw her emotions are for for losing Croker, and then the next scene she's out here slaughtering several hundred people that she <clears throat> trapped in a in a plaza, and then had her soldiers rain arrows down on them. Like yeah, <laughs> the way yeah, he the so. way he wrote that was very sudden. Like oh yeah, it was like yeah, she just didn't give any thought to it at all. Yeah, it's almost uh, like he wanted it done and over with before you had time to really question it. In a way, yeah. Well, okay. Lady, lady wanted it done and over with before anybody could really think about it and question it. Yeah, you know, and so like, and that shows in the way she wrote it too. She's like, if anybody's reading these things, like, so lady more than Croker or Case. Maybe this this is a style point, um, but really, it's her character. She is more overtly an unreliable narrator. She. You know, she goes through that whole scene with, like, you know, the the slaughter of the priests. And she doesn't say much in detail. And then we get the scene after it. And she slips in this line with the, the Prabhrindra reporting back to the Radisha. And he tells her, he's like, I just watched her, like, cold-blooded walking through the corpses, finding people alive and, like, killing them. Like, I just watched her do this. Yeah. And she doesn't say a word about any of that. During the actual it scene. It doesn't really... It, it's not a huge yeah. deal to her. Yeah, so she, like, spreads out the horrific nature of it in several <laughs> scenes, so you don't get walloped all in one go. You you have to kind of stop and consider and add that information back to the scene. And then, only then do you start realizing, like, this was awful. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is absolutely horrific what just happened. You know, and, and of course... They're, they're the Taglian priests whom we've already been conditioned for two books to at least be annoyed by, right? We have contempt for Taglian priests. They're so busy with their squabbling and their political games and, and we're fans of the Black Company. We just want them to, you know, get to business. Yes. Oh and this is Lady yes. allowing the company to get to business. So it's easy to be like, oh yeah, that was a great she, move on her part. She is a great But also... <laughs> I mean, yeah, I find myself rooting for her and then kind of cringing, like, should I be rooting for her? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Serve and, your and gods. She, Go ahead. She she Go gets petty, her. too. The, the other thing that on this reading really stood out to me was how petty she is about Mogaba. You yeah, know, okay. she's... Okay. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, that was weird. Like, why? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now, granted, we also see Mogaba got... He, he's got his own issues. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's, that, that's a door that I don't but, want to open yet, but oh boy. Yeah, we don't really need to open it this book, because we're going to get a whole lot more of it next book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, she used to be the most powerful woman in the world, so mm -hmm. we shouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. She previously was able to be above of all uh, all of these petty squabbles she didn't have to deal with it and now she does again and and it just goes to show she is no less petty than any of the taken who were squabbling and backstabbing and everything like lady full-on backstabbed mogaba and the company members in dejigori she's like oh i cleared i took out Sh shadow spinner and i uh and and i like subverted his whole army uh, but I'm going to make them act like they're still besieging the city and, and make the the company and the Nar inside Dejigori still think that they're trapped and screwed, even though they could just sail out anytime. 
Like that, that reminds me of a second note I had on her was that I was surprised at her um, skills just leading from a military perspective. Yeah. She knows what she's doing. Because, I mean, I, the way I always thought about it back when she was in the height of her magical power is that she had commanders handling this for her. But she seems to know what she's doing. Yeah. I mean, you, you think back to the Battle of Charm where we did have other commanders working for her. But the m- main battle plan, the, the meta plan, was coming straight out of the tower. And Lady was, like, calling audibles last minute, moving formations around and setting up this whole, like, chess maneuver to not only checkmate the rebels, but also checkmate the Taken who were trying to undermine her. I mean, technically, what, there was huge slaughter at Charm. Should we be surprised that she is now slaughtering priests? Yeah. 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 I did. I mean, I did cheer seeing her in action. You know, like that, there's that first scene with Narayan and I think she, with Sindhu where she takes up yeah. sword and just casually beheads a motherfucker. I was like, oh, oh it's going to be this kind of book now. OK. You know, but then we get another scene, on the other hand, with the murder of Ja. And mm-hmm. wow, just yuck. And, and she participates, barely hesitating, you know? Yeah, it doesn't even blink. <laughs> yeah. And again, this is where I said I was going to compliment some of the style here. The lady has this very strong voice. She's, an, honestly, I think she's an incredible analyst. She has a turn of phrase. She has a, a really rare worldview that we would never be able to have in other analysts. There's one point during a, a simple description of Blade where I actually went, oh, that was excellent, where she claims that he is, and I quote, devoutly antagonistic towards priests. I love that little <laughs> oxymoron. The, the lady just yeah. throws them in so casually that they are easy to miss. It really is something. Yeah. I like that yeah. aspect of her. I think what I like the most about her as the analyst is that there's a weight to the words she writes. Uh, Croker can come off as a little more whimsical, uh, a little more flippant about things, and then he'll occasionally have these moments of, you know, profound introspection and, and things like that. But Lady, like, really hammers home her lines. And I think that's part of why I like that that uh, writing style in this book is that like that direct statement aligns with like how lady acts, if that makes sense, you know, like, like I'm, I'm going to talk about this later on uh, in the episode, but chapter 75, it's the, uh, the last chapter of the book before the epilogue. And uh, this whole chapter is short, direct sentences. Oh yeah, almost all of the almost all the chapters short direct sentences, but it it means something because those short direct sentences are portentous and carry so much weight. Ram was scared with good reason. He had learned something he should not have. He knew yes. something he was not supposed to know. Ram is dead. Ram died fighting his strangler brothers when they came to take my daughter. Narayan is a dead man. Like, and it just goes yeah. on. And there's this just oomph to every sentence. Like, it's almost oh. like she's, she, it, it's like she's writing, delivering you the bad news personally. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. <laughs> Again, like I said earlier, at the very beginning of my points about about Lady, or maybe it was yeah, I think it was about Lady, where the opening and the closing sections of this book are just so powerful. They're, they 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 strike so hard. That's why at the at first I was so excited when I when I read the opening of the book of Lady, and at the end again. I was excited. I did get a little lost along the way with with some of with the description and the lack, well, I should say the lack thereof. But again, she I can't deny that when Lady is pissed off, she can write a damn sentence. She can write several on top of one another, and you can't decide which one hurts the most or, or hits the hardest. She's she's brilliant in that way. So I do like seeing her. I do like the book of Lady for that reason alone. You know. She's yeah. just, she's very down to business. Yeah, I can you know, I like, agree I, with that. Yep. She doesn't care about your religion or whatever, as long as it <laughs> serves her own purpose. So, yeah. let's talk about her and Croker and her, like, her, her, like, devotion or if that's what I even want to call it to his memory, I suppose. I have another quote here. Swan looked at me with a sort of soulful longing. I winked, suggesting his time would suggesting his time would come. I'm not sure why. I had no reason to lead him on. I did not mind him remaining attached to Radisha. Maybe I was attracted. He was the best sort of he was the best of the crop in his way. But I did not want to stumble into that trap again. So at first I was going to roast her for this one. I originally read this incorrectly. I read this as a deliberate, calculated thing, despite what she writes about it afterwards. I felt like she had just gone from passionate investment to a calculated investment with no remorse. But then I took a step back and I looked at the man Willow Swan and what it means for a lady, considering the, all the men around her, Willow Swan. It shows me that Croker really taught her something about the nature of good men. And I, and I realized that Swan being her next potential choice, if anything, is actually a compliment to Croker's memory and how he changed her. So I decided that I actually liked the lady even more after that. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, the scene when they're sneaking into Shadow Spinner's camp to assassinate oh him. Oh and God, Lady yeah. is, is kind of breaking down, you know, the men in their group. And she remarks, each of them was a villain. Yes. With the possible exception, exception of Willow Swan. Willow Swan, yep. I remember that one. Yeah. Um, man, yeah. I, did, I just have to close my points on Lady with her, with her final words here. Narayan will pay. I will tear his heart out <laughs> and use it to choke his goddess. <laughs> they do not know what they have awakened. My strength has returned. They will pay. Long Shadow, my sister, the Deceivers, Kina herself, if she gets in my way. Their year of the skulls is upon them. I close the Book of Lady. <laughs> oh, holy crap. Yeah. I, I, I just, I had to stare at that final line for a solid 40 seconds before I could move on and accept that it was over. I was like, wow. You, <laughs> could, you could feel her, like, ripping the page you, with the pen because she's yeah, so angry yeah, writing those words. You can feel the, the heat radiating in waves <laughs> off of the page with her righteous anger. I was like, oh my god. Poor Croker. Yeah. How is he supposed to ever manage oh, this god. relationship? Oh. <laughs> well, speaking oh. of Croker, do you guys have anything else about Lady? I'm, I'm done with Lady for now. Uh, yeah, I think I'm done with Lady for now. Yeah. Let's talk about Croker. 
And and I want to lead this off. And I specifically want to ask you guys. Do you think Croker actually resisted Soulcatcher? Do you think he slept with her? Oh, oh, I thought you were asking if, if, okay, let me approach this differently. Um, yeah, I think he did. I'll say it up. I think he did. I mean, there were points when I was definitely concerned, and I'll be getting into those in a few minutes. But no, I, I, I think he was faithful. I didn't read uh, any breach of trust or anything, although it came close a few times. I I did not read it like he did. Uh, I mean, he mentions once saying, like, pretty much that I will fall and be seduced, but I never read it like he actually did. It was cynicism again. It was his... So, like, of all things that he's cynical about, Croker is most cynical about himself. That's how I read I that. Guess, I guess, like, outside of... Like, when would it have happened... So, the important thing here is that this is Lady writing the book, and those scenes are what Croker told Lady. Now, okay. I, I think I fall on the side of, yes, Croker stayed true to Lady, but there is enough deniability there that it makes me wonder. And it almost... And it's because of the final scene uh, when uh, when he's with Soulcatcher, you know, and then uh, the Howler, um, you know, uh, captures her. I'm going to try mm-hmm. to uh, find the... Howler's attack on the coach there with... Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, basically what he says there in that is that, like... He was about to break. He was at his limit at that point. He was about to break. And then, very conveniently, he splits off from her right then. He gets away from her right right at that limit. And I could see an interpretation of this book being uh, Croker's guilty conscience forcing him to admit that he was ready to give in but not strong enough to admit that he did give in, if that makes sense. I don't know. I just feel like... I don't know. I think a croaker would be honest about that. That's exactly how I feel. Like, if he's cynical enough, he would have been honest about it. Yeah. Like, I, I think I fall on the same side as you guys, but I, I think it's worth considering and worth talking about. Uh, and this goes back to that uh, point I made earlier about how clearly an unreliable narrator lady is in this book i mean she says it outright in chapter one um let me pull up the quote uh where she says um many months have passed much has happened and much has slipped from my memory insignificant details have stuck with me while important things have gotten away some things i know only from third parties and more i can only guess how often have my witnesses perjured themselves? You know, so she's she's telling us outright at the beginning of this. She doesn't buy face value of what she's told. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so I think it's... E- even if Croker did stay loyal, which I want to think he did. I like Croker. I, I, I want him to, to be the better person, you know. Um... But it's worth 
considering uh, when we're reading these books from such an analytical standpoint. You just have to be careful because then you get on the route of questioning every single thing just based on an unreliable narrator. Could be a slippery oh, yeah. slope. Yeah, it could uh, be it, a slippery it is. slope. Yeah. Um, and and that's <laughs> that's a tough thing to deal with. And and it's also why I'm glad that we haven't covered Book of the New Sun on this podcast because more than any other series I've ever read, that is a, a series that encourages you to be skeptical of every single thing the narrator says. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Um, but but yeah, so but with Croker, um let's let's collectively agree that he did not sleep with Soulcatcher. Yeah, yeah. I can agree with that. However, uh, I think we can probably collectively agree that Croker's got some real problems, internal problems now. Oh. Because of uh, <laughs> as a result of of this experience. Where he's not only been toyed with for over a year now by Soulcatcher, uh, and and he is left at the end of this book physically separated from Lady and physically separated from his daughter. Uh, like, what must that have done to him to learn that he has a daughter and then learn, no, I don't, <laughs> not anymore. She's Kina's daughter now. She's stolen. Like, God damn. This poor guy just cannot catch a break. I mean, he, like, <laughs> I don't know what to say because he all, he already seems <clears throat> close to a breaking point to open the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, I was... the poor dude traveled 5,000 miles across the globe, finally got laid, and then everything <laughs> as a result of getting laid just turned out awful for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was I was really concerned for him in the opening pages as well. I mean, I thought Soulcatcher had something seriously worse planned for him than what turned out to be the case. Not to excuse at all what she's doing, oh. but I w- I mean, I was worried about some acts of Cain level <laughs> happening oh. to him, right? So. No. I saw the bit of conflict coming, you know, concerning the fact that Soulcatcher is still undeniably Lady's sister. She's going to be attractive, no matter what Croker curses himself out for thinking. Soulcatcher clearly has some fun with it, but yeah, I didn't really start considering it to be uh, a big deal until, in Croker's point of view, he started referring to her as Catcher. Mm. And then I started to grow a little more concerned. Yeah, that was weird. Right? It was almost fond. Yeah. And then he notices that there are times when she seems... Because she has all these different different voices coming out of her mouth. But there are times that he notices that she seems to be truly herself. And that he does feel like he wishes he could comfort her. And I was like, yikes! Okay, we're going there, are we? How much of... uh, Is it her magical ability influencing him psychologically versus just her character in general uh i don't think she's using her magic uh really it's so personal for her yeah that i think she would prefer she gets more satisfaction out of being genuine about her seduction and subversion of growth she wants to break him organically (laughs) yeah she she wants it to be a true subversion not just like, oh, I turned you into a zombie puppet. Yeah. Like, but yeah, the grizzled old fart surprised me again. Yeah. 
You know, I, yeah. I love the scene with Howler's attack on the coach. Croker, my man, just springs immediately into action. The consummate soldier that he is, he reacts more quickly than anyone else here. He flings open the door and he sees Radisha and Catcher unconscious. He sees the prince dazed but conscious and he grabs him, and I quote, by his pretty suit and drags him <laughs> out. Immediately lances through Howler when he bumps into him I, without hesitation. I love He's still quintessentially croaker i mean even that other scene right there's a there's a scene right before this when he's he's in disguise and radisha is staring at him and she's, yes. tr- she's trying to figure out what she, why <laughs> he were, like what's familiar about this man and he just has this one moment of decision where he's like you know what? i really don't have much else to lose and he winks at her like, what a baller play that was i did like it oh it's so great and i love the description after it of of the radisha where like her only reaction was like raising her eyebrows where, like <laughs> i just have this wonderful wonderful image of you know uh, of course our listeners won't be able to see this but I just saw her as you know having this like frown on her face and then he winks and she's just like (laughs) and then turns away (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah um, I I do want to bring up something Um, you mentioned it Rob Hmm? the lance Yes, I was going to go back into this with predictions and miscellaneous. <laughs> go ahead, dude. Uh, well, this is this is one of those new mysteries, you know, along with Glittering Stone. Like, holy what's the deal with this lance? I mean, we got some backstory. Uh, company is a mythical weapon? <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> like, they've, they've had this thing all along in their possession and just had no idea that it's like, oh, actually, we could have just killed Limper with this. Like, <laughs> oh, you didn't consider that. Could have just stabbed him with that, and, and he, he's no, I'm done. I'm sure Limper would have found a way to come back to life, the prick. He's probably still going to find a way. I, I, I just, I no, can't I, let that I, go. I can guarantee you the Limper I know, dead you now. said that. <laughs> Look, if I one eyeball that. is around, I trust they... So, actually, this is, this is another important point. Um, maybe we should just kind of get this out of the way. More a story point than a style point. Um, I mentioned in our last episode how both of you guys were pretty disgruntled with the the resurrections of the Taken and how it's like alright we just have the same enemies over and over again diplomatically yeah and I said this book marks a turning point in that and it does yes we still have you know Soulcatcher out there we still have the Howler out there um but we have new kinds of enemies emerging in this book totally unrelated to you know, what we dealt with in the North, with Kina and the Stranglers, you know, and now Mogaba, who, oh, who's God. apparently an antagonist, you know, and uh, <laughs> it, it's, it, the story's evolving. And I like this book because of that. And and I don't, I don't know if I've mentioned this, when I first started reading these books, uh, Right now, you can go out and buy, you know, there are four collected versions. There's uh, Chronicles of the Black Company, The Books of the South, The Return of the Black Company, and The Many Deaths of the Black Company. And collectively, those are the ten main books in the series. When I started reading them, only The Books of the South and The Chronicles of the Black Company had been released. All the other books, the individual volumes, were out of print. And so I was reading through this, and I read Dreams of Steel, and we I got to this freaking cliffhanger ending you thought the cliffhanger in shadow games was bad (laughs) and then i was so excited i was like all right turn the page i'm starting the silver spike 
And the Silver <laughs> Spike is like stuff that happened two years ago and has nothing to do with this story. I was so mad. And I couldn't and, and I couldn't read on. And I spent months, like months, scouring used bookstores up and down the front range from Fort Collins to Colorado Springs. And finally found a used copy of Bleak Seasons. And I devoured it. And I couldn't find a copy of She is the Darkness. And I had to wait for The Return of the Black Company to come out. And so then I got to read She is the Darkness. And then I had the same problem. I had to scour used bookstores to find a, a standalone copy of Water Sleeps. And I couldn't find one for Soldiers Live. <laughs> and so I had this, like, horrible, horrible... Uh, like cliffhanger things specifically with Dreams of Steel where I got to that ending Lady being like their year of the skulls is upon them and and then nothing and I can't read on it it, it murdered me and that's why we did Silver Spike 4th <laughs> yeah I'm glad that we did do Silver Spike 4th I would not now be wanting to retread anything we're not retread yeah. that's, not, that's not the word I want to use but to, to regress to backtrack and explain mm -hmm. something else I would have been no way. Oh, Especially boy, yeah. with the cliffhangers. God. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. lady just announcing my powers have returned. And you're just like, oh, yeah. We got the lady, the lady. She's not just lady. Loaded. The uh, lady. Yep. On the side of the black company now. And you're just like, let's go. And, <laughs> and then it yeah. doesn't go. <laughs> and, well, it didn't for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It will for us. And it will for the podcast. We can yes. promise that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, are, do we have any more on Croker uh, or, nope. or Soulcatcher since we were kind of talking about both of them? Yeah, I have a couple things on Well, actually, it's it's not so much on Soulcatcher as it is about the portrayal of Soulcatcher. And I, I want to talk for a minute about the audiobook here. I listened, again, which I would never condone, to the audiobook for a first read. I myself didn't really have any choice working as much as I do and wanting to fall asleep as soon as I get home. I spent the last month working on the bandsaw at work, and for anybody who knows what that is, what it's like to carry steel all day, oh my god. I cranked out this <laughs> audiobook in a couple of days, it was at least the first half, and then the entire second half I just read, I bought the ebook and I just went right through. But the narrator, one Rachel Butera, um for the audiobook. How do I put this diplomatically? She's got a very attractive voice. She really <laughs> shines with Soulcatcher, particularly with Soulcatcher. Oh. The constant switching of voices is unnerving, but some of those voices are uh, alluring, for lack of a better term. She's Rob was seduced. I wrote this down. She's got the voice like the cool side of a pillow. When she <laughs> when she voices men, she actually does a phenomenal job. She doesn't stretch or push the larynx like other female narrators do through I mean through no no fault of their own way easier for men to raise their register than for women to lower theirs but she seems to understand that it, it what matters is lower frequency her voices sound actually male and then there is this voice that she has for frogface and holy crap that it's hard to really? believe that that voice is coming out of the same throat as all of the others I'm curious <laughs> what it sounds like for anyone yeah. interested and giving it a shot, or if you're sitting on the fence about them, try the audiobooks. Rachel Butera fucking nailed it. She knocked it out of the park in this one. I, I gotta say, like, you know, I've been on record many times, like, I don't do audiobooks. I have never been more interested in listening to an audiobook after, you know, hearing what you just said. You gotta listen to her exchanges with Croker. 
because like that that is one thing that I could see really enriching the the experience with the audiobook versus reading because when I'm reading through these uh, especially because of how I read unless I make a conscious effort to I don't really like I don't sub vocalize so I don't like speak the words in my head and I don't give them tone and so a lot of the time it's easy for me to just read Soulcatcher's dialogue and it's all the same. So that's so strange to me. That's all it's I all do is so vocalize. <laughs> uh, and and so unless the the text specifically calls out that Soulcatcher, you know, changed to like a giggling little girl, or it was a man on his deathbed, or uh, switched back to her business like voice that was her real voice, you know, like unless the the switches are specifically called out i kind of just all read it the same yeah yeah and so a, an audiobook would be really interesting for to, that to hear her in a one on one with frogface it's it, it it's just <laughs> surreal it really is that impish mm. voice and I, yeah i'm using the word impish voice that she gives to frogface and then switching right back to all of soulcatcher's various voices it's just That's it's so really cool. a phenomenal piece of work and yeah she's she sounds really nice <laughs> yeah creepy yeah. Well, but i'm sure should. i mean yeah like soulcatcher is supposed to be pretty darn sexy so yeah i mean there was there was there's one line and this is a completely throwaway point in in the king killer chronicle where there's a character described as having a voice like honey on warm bread and I was shooting for something there. I was like, how do I explain this woman's voice, particularly <laughs> when she's Soulcatcher? And I, I was, it took me probably half of the day. I wasn't thinking of only this for half the day. I was just mindlessly steelworking. And I thought, the cool side of a pillow. That's what she sounds like. Mm -hmm. It's very, very nice. So I, I have one last point on Soulcatcher. Okay. And, and it's a, a callback to a previous discussion we had in, I think, uh, our first Black Company episode. Uh, and it is a croaker point of view. Um, she looked nice in the sense that she was a beautiful woman, like her sister. He had become very conscious of that since she had changed her style of dress. That left him nagged by low-grade guilt. She laughed. I'm not reading your mind, croaker. She was not, literally. She would not be pleased with him if she was. But she had been around a long time and had studied people. She could read books from a few physical clues. So we here we have direct from the lady that they cannot actually read minds. They're just really good at picking yeah. up vocal and body language cues. So which, I, given I given the up. situation that Croker is in, I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah, I, I think we we chatted about this in our first Black Company episode, and I promised I was like, we'll get an answer to this later. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Um, wrapping up Soulcatcher, just one tiny quote from her that really made me scared a little bit. Um, mm. Throughout the whole book, I kept returning to this, this quote of hers and thinking, oh, damn. <clears throat> the quote is what she said to Croker about her research on the Black Company's history. I've seen the books the wizard smoke concealed from you in Taglios. They include the missing volumes of your annals. Your forebears were cruel men. Their mission required the sacrifice of a million souls. <laughs> Boom. Yep. Now, I just, was she telling the truth? 
Oh, I mean, I could see some exaggeration in there, but but I think I we do have at least enough evidence from this book to say there's there's a kernel of truth at least since uh, we've seen what happened with Dinar, with Mogaba, where they're following a, uh, you know, a, a, a tradition, an older tradition of the Black Company. Mm-hmm. So. There's some truth there, if it's not all. Yeah. At least some. <laughs> I, uh, I'm i done with Soulcatcher, and the rest of my character points are just one point each about Mergen and Mogaba. Okay. Uh, Jared, are, are you good yep. with that? Awesome. All right, let's talk Mergen. Actually, you know what? <laughs> I'm so stupid. I just looked at the corner of my eye. I saw this one sentence under Mergen, but that sentence is, I refuse to talk about Mergen for the moment because the only thing I have to say about him is during my favorite scenes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so sorry. Well, I kind of just like teased you guys a bit there, but well, I'll wait another few minutes to get to Mergen. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I I only have one thing to say about Mergen, and that's I hope you guys like him. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. All right. Hey, let me I guess. Like Welcome to the book of Mergen. <laughs> uh, yep. So I mean, we heard we heard in this book while Lady's been doing her book, Mergen was doing his in Dejigori. Yes. And that is what, which kind of makes sense because we pretty we pretty much left them behind the scenes for this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's clearly a lot went down in Dejagore <laughs> that we don't know. <laughs> Wait, so it's bleak season's going to be about what happened in Dejagore and not about what happens after Dreams of Steel? Yes and no. It's I, I can't really describe it without spoiling things for it. So oh, I, I will say okay. we will get a continuation of the story in Bleak Seasons, but we will also okay. get details in Dejigori. Okay. Alright. Mogava? Hmm? This dude. Yeah, I called it, or at least I think I called it back in Shadow Games. Mogava. As much as I liked him back then, I knew I said he had the potential to be a serious pain and everyone's ass and i think yeah. i nailed it i mean yeah, come I mean, on just look at where cannibalism like... part but <laughs> no no i didn't see that coming i didn't see the handle electric side of him coming now he's a fanatical and... murderous cannibalistic tyrant yeah but it, it what a like a throwaway line there's just like like oh yeah by the way there was a bunch of like cannibalism and human sacrifice yeah though the liver <laughs> and kidneys you know it's a delicacy I suppose. but isn't that very black company like to put it that way mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. maybe yeah that's, yeah, I did. You know, I, go ahead. Yeah, like I, I've made that point, you know, in previous episodes where where Glenn Cook is like the grandfather of Grimdark, but he isn't really Grimdark himself. He gets dark, but he doesn't get like grim, graphic, gory. You know, like if that. I don't know. It, it, in, it, he approaches it. In, in uh, in the Acts of Cain, for instance, Paul, you 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 bet we would have had a point of view that included like the description of the texture of eating the dudes like still beating heart or something like that, you know. <laughs> Whereas yeah. here, it's just like, oh yeah, by the way, they're cannibals. <laughs> I mean, the Croker's work on Soulcatcher was pretty graphic. Oh, the surgery. Yes. Yeah. 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 It wasn't like- torture though it wasn't yeah sadistic and, and <laughs> gratuitous in its description yeah mm-hmm. but uh, yeah I, uh, mogaba i i was a, i did like seeing his confrontation with croker at the end oh. i wasn't expecting to get that this book i felt like he might have been 
a, a big antagonist in the next book or something like that. I, I was really surprised to see Croker approach him, and then we actually got that confrontation, and that was not also part of the cliffhanger. And it's kind of unnerving to see that Mogaba is aware. He's kind of at least self-aware. I can see him having a dark, still having a dark role in the future, but he does tell Croker, look, you should not be pardoning me for this. I can't guarantee what kind of person I am. I'm like, I was yeah, like, that, yeah, Croker. That was kind of surprising like, from him. It did surprise me, but, oh boy. I'm not yeah. feeling good about Croker and his decision to just let that one pass, you know, just purely on faith, having known the guy for not very long, considering. <laughs> no, I... I... Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the scene a little later in yep. your favorite scenes. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right. Oh, come on. <laughs> I already have one steal. Great. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, but Mogaba, hmm. like I said, it, it also surprised me, his pettiness, you know, where it was not just Lady being petty about, like, who's going to get to to succeed as captain, but Mogaba too. I mean, we, we have their like very frosty conversation on the plane outside <laughs> Dejigore when they run into each other and, and both of them are just being douches. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I kind of expect it from Mogaba given his origin. I didn't expect it from lady though. Yeah. It, it's, I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how this plays out um, going forward and, and chatting chatting with you, you guys, about it. <laughs> My prediction right. is that Croker made the right choice. Hey, I love that you brought up predictions. That's literally my next grouping of points here. <laughs> I only have two. But that's your prediction? Yes. Okay. All right. I, I'm going to predict, um, and this, this may be pretty easy to predict, um... Long Shadow is speaking to Howler after the kidnapping of Dorotea, in air quotes. Right after Howler claims, they have the lance. He glanced southward at the plain of glittering stone, shimmering in the morning's light. Someday, the lance had come out of there in ancient times. It was a toy compared to what lay there still, ready to be taken up by him who had the will to seize it. I couldn't help but notice again this repeating phrase, of course, with glittering stone. It's going to be very important in the future, as is that weapon, I'm sure. Yeah, since the last four books are collectively the books of glittering stone. <laughs> right, I think I'm it very might be cognizant of that. Every time it freaking comes up and I read those two words put together, it's like, oh, okay. That's like a little note to be like, oh, hey, pay attention. Something, something I, I, would, gonna... I would also like to point out, I don't know if you guys remember, in Shadow Games... Um, the black company, I think it was Croker, like asks about this term glittering stone. And he's told that like, it's a colloquialism, like an idiom. And the best translation they can get is howling madness. What? Yeah. I don't I recall don't, this at yeah. all. Yeah. I gotta watch what I'm drinking. It's I'm like, out loud podcast. It's like a random throwaway line in Shadow Games, but it always like stuck with me. Where where mm. I I was like, huh. <laughs> okay. My last prediction: Lady's waking dreams, particularly her last one. The description of this evil figure, God, Kina, daughter of night, on the plane. We have this description of this, this horrifying oh, oh. figure, and then. 
I, I apologize. Actually, I'm mixing up two different things. It, it is uh, the closest way to say it in Rosen is The Walking Dead. Okay. Okay. Still not ringing it. Yeah, not Howling okay. Madness. I apologize. All right. So after everything they have to go through, now they get zombies. Wonderful. <laughs> this, this, that, that waking dream at the very end, that this horrifying nightmare figure on the plane, the description of it. And then, as if she can faintly hear it, a joke from Croker about the appearance of that thing. I think something deeper than a simple dream is happening here. Prophecy. I wrote down prophecy again. What is going on with Lady here? What? Oh, wait. <laughs> Hang on a second. I think there's something going on with the fact that she's, she doesn't know she's pregnant. I don't think she knows she's pregnant yet at this mm -hmm. point. She does not. But that child has been changed by whatever the f*** happened in that weird ceremony. And then maybe yeah. this could be a side effect of it. <laughs> well, huh. she does note the dreams go away after the ceremony. Look, you hang out with weird okay. cult people, this shit's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. Especially when the weird cult people apparently have some, like, death ritual, and the death ritual went unexpectedly even for the people used to the death ritual. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, when suddenly the what statue is, moves. What is going on with this initiation? The <laughs> idol apparently coming to life for the first time in memory? The... This presence, this phantom wind, the smell of death, the darkness, followed by, like, this movement of the statue after the lights come back on. That's creepy as hell. I you're don't like what it You're kind of wondering this whole time, like, how, why is she not panicking? It was cool. Because she's so freaking cool. overconfident. She's like, oh, I'm aware that they're trying to manipulate me, and then, <laughs> thus, I can't be manipulated. And then, at the right, end, well, she's, she's like, well, that was that a moment. bad idea. <laughs> she was like, how did they do that? Like, some sort of clever machines, all, all this, these machinations that they have? Like, how, how, did they, how did they trick me into thinking that was real? That's how she came out of it. At. And then she asked Narayan, and he's like, yeah, no, that's not normal. <laughs> yeah, and then she could tell by everyone else's reactions. They're like, oh, that's... Oh. Okay. <laughs> huh. Yep. Interesting. <laughs> yep. And then, yeah, my last miscellaneous point here is something that you brought up just a few minutes ago, Drew. Long Shadow's point of view after Howler is healed, revealing that the standard of the Black Company is one of these mystical lances. I was like, damn, that is on the level of Sanderson in terms of placing mythical objects in plain sight. Love yeah. it. Good. Done. I'm ready for favorite scenes. You guys have anything else miscellaneous you want to bring up? Um, not me. I have. I have one. Uh. Um. Meta point that I want to bring okay. up, and that is. Uh, we're in, you know, uh, early on in the book. With in Croker's point of view, although it doesn't even like say it's Croker's point of view, this is so early, it's just still the wounded man. He he thought he was trapped in a drug dream. Right, yeah. And says, he hadn't been religious. He'd believed that death was it. When you died, you were dead, like a squished bug or a drowned rat, and your immortality was in the minds of those you left behind. And that idea is pervasive. This is one of the main themes of the Black Company as a series. 
the Holy idea crap. of what the annals are. How many times we had mentioned in the books of the North that all of these random dudes who, who ran away from home, whether they were chasing criminal pasts or escaping abusive situations or, or running from a murderer or, or whatever, they're random in the flow of time. And their only legacy will be their mentions in the annals when they die. Or if they are mentioned, if they play a bigger role. They're, that's their only legacy, is the memory of the annals. And we got a little bit... Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wind back to chapter 44, the final chapter in Shadow Games titled Glittering Stone. You know, the whole, the plane is filled with the silence of stone. And it ends, They cannot die, for they are the undead, bound by the silence of stone. It is immortality of a sort. Anytime the word immortality comes up, and and now I'm going to wind ahead to the end of uh, uh, Dreams of Steel, titled Envoy, down there. And it says, in the dawn and at the setting of the sun, parts of those columns catch the light and gleam golden. For a few minutes each day, auric characters burn forth from their faces. For those remembered, it is immortality of a sort. (laughs) That tickled me pretty. And then, in the night, the winds die, and silence rules the place of glittering stone. So I'm let's... suddenly starting to appreciate Soldiers Live as a book title now, all the more for this. <laughs> let's, let's move on to favorite scenes now. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> on that note, I'll start off, off with our favorite scenes here. I'll go on with my third favorite, and then we'll go to Jared, and we'll go to Drew, and so-so. That sound good? Yeah. Okay. Um, my third favorite scene, and I feel like I cheated a little bit because it's not one scene in particular, it's just something that we kept circling back to, um, and this was a point that endeared me more towards one of the characters, of course, being Lady, you know, the Book of Lady, excited about the gradual return of her powers, and even more, what made it endearing to me was the fact that she was nervous to be excited about it, Uh in the way that she constantly refuses to rely on relying on them. It humanizes her in a way that I felt that we really needed. And so <clears throat> anytime we got this, this mention of her being able to do this or her being able to do that and her complete refusal to, to depend on it, uh, just, oh, I, I, I bled a little bit for her. I was happy for her, and it made mm-hmm. her more human for me. Nice. Jared, your third favorite? Yeah, so my third favorite isn't so much for the scene itself, but more for... The style and words here that Cook uses that I just I loved. <clears throat> so it's with Catcher near the end. Uh, and I'm just going to read it because it's that awesome. She had a spell prepared, a summoning that taxed her limits. She struck a pose, loosed it. It broke a hole in the fabric of everything. Sparks of 10,000 colors flew. Something huge and ugly and hungry started through, tearing the hole wider. Steel left no mark. Its snarls chilled the blood. It ripped itself out of the womb of elsewhere and flew after the garrison. Yes. 
Soulcatcher yeah. is a badass. What yeah. what is the womb of elsewhere? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't, yep. I don't even think it matters what it is. It's cool. <laughs> exactly. Uh, like, um, and and so a little bit of trivia. Um, I'm sure both of you guys have been reading, uh, you know, the collected versions of these. That scene that Jared just described is in fact the original book cover for Dreams of Steel, and it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> It's so bad. I never pay attention to these when they're on the audiobook. Let's see here. I'm pretty sure all of the original covers are terrible. Mostly, yeah. Yep, that's it. It's horrible. Oh my god. There it is. Here. Yeah, Jared. Oh. That's bad. It's which... like pig thing. <laughs> a, pig a, thing. The a black pig thing with horns and a nose. And it's in a pink circle. <laughs> All right, somebody give me the contact like, info of whatever artist oh, ruined yeah, that. And look at how bad Soulcatcher is. Like, almost looks like a dude. <laughs> uh, almost. <laughs> almost. I didn't realize that was Soulcatcher. I yeah. thought it was a dude. <laughs> I stand by my statement. Oh, the state? No, you're, you're right. About the passage was... I'm bringing <laughs> myself. I'm laughing too hard. <laughs> But that's one of those quirks of the publishing industry. I'm sure Cook had no say about that. No, zero. Absolutely zero. <laughs> it's also wow. funny because the the uh, compendium covers are brilliant. So good. Yeah, awesome. Raymond Swanwood. I mean, he is, in my opinion, the greatest cover artist of all time. So Holy damn. <laughs> okay. That's high Seriously, brain. look up, just like Google sometime, Raymond, Raymond Swanwood book cover. Every single one is just cool. Like, they all look incredible. He he has this style that, like, um, it, it just, like, bespeaks action. All of them, obviously, are still paintings, but have so much movement in them. I mean, we've talked about, he did the uh, the book cover for the Towers of Midnight ebook uh, of Aaron with the hammer. Okay, I was just gonna say, you know who I like? I like whoever did Perrin and the forging of Ma Lionier. Who yep. what the hell was that? Who's the yep. same dude? Same dude. Oh, I mean, you, okay. you look at the book covers for for these four, uh, you know, collections of the Black Company. You look at the Dread Empire collection covers. You look at, uh, um, I don't, I don't, any, any, anything he's done, and he's done most of the Glenn Cook book covers uh, of the last probably fifteen years or so, uh, like. Whoever nailed down that contract, good work. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, all right. So my all right. third favorite scene. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, I and like Jared, uh, it's it's about the <clears throat> the writing. And, and then I'll go into a little more detail. So I'm just going to read this here. Mogaba moved to meet him, taking stride for stride. They stopped a yard apart. You've done wonders with nothing, Croker said. He rested his, hand, uh, his right hand upon Mogaba's left shoulder. Sudden silence gripped the city. Ten thousand eyes watched, native and soldier alike knowing how much hung on Mogaba's response to that gesture of camaraderie. Croker waited quietly. 
It was a time when almost anything said would be too much said. Nothing needed to be discussed or explained. Everything hinged on Mogaba's reaction. If he reciprocated, all was well. If not... The men looked one another in the eye. Hot fires burned within Mogaba. Nothing showed on his face, but Croker sensed the battle within him. His ambition against a lifetime of training and the obvious will of the soldiers. Their cheers made their sentiments clear. Mogaba's struggle went on. Twice his right hand rose, fell back. Twice he opened his mouth to speak, then bit down on ambition's tongue. Like, it, it, and it goes on, you know, it is beautiful writing. It's, this moment is so fraught. The tension is, is just dripping from the page. Mm-hmm. And, and my favorite thing about it is, is how much this scene draws back in the theme of brotherhood that has been the backbone of the Black Company so far. This is Lady's book. She doesn't have the brotherhood. We see her, you know, her interactions with essentially the company in this are very unlike uh, anything we've seen before. She uses the company as a tool. She rebuilds her army, and it's, and it's a weapon that she wields for herself. It's not about her relationships with the soldiers, in the way Croker has relationships with Mergen and One-Eye and Goblin, you know. Uh, but in this one scene, Lady manages to bring that brotherhood back into the fold and make it important. And it's not just the brotherhood, the fracturing brotherhood between Croker and Mogaba. It's the brotherhood between Mogaba and Sindawe. It's Willow Swan's need to feel like he can fit in. His willingness to volunteer to go into the city and prove something to himself. And in so doing, mm. prove something to the others in the Black Company. There are so many layers of male-to-male relationships in this one scene. It's just incredible. I love it. Yeah, and, and counter to what I was saying earlier in my style, <clears throat> what I was complaining about earlier in my style points, this is one of those moments, this tense moment when you are literally white-knuckling the book, or the phone in my case that you're reading. <laughs> this is a moment where those, those, I don't want to, again, in this case I want to call them bland, but those monotonous sentence, 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 statement, statement, statement kind of style works. Because you are so tense in this moment. Each one of those sentences feels like another little breath that you get. And then another little one. And then another little one. And it works aesthetically to keep you balanced on the edge of your seat and to keep you holding your breath. For me, it's just when this kind of statement, 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 statement follows through into other things, into more whimsical scenes when they're just like walking down a road or something like that, that I take issue with, but here masterful. And I think the last sentence in that scene wrapped it up perfectly. Thus was Dejagor delivered in the true company set free. Yes. Yes. It's just a page break and then one sentence or Mm -hmm. two sentences and then boom. Yeah. What a stylistic choice there. 
to put a, a dot dot dot, you know, like star 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 page break, and then one sentence. Oof, man. Yep. Yep. All right, Rob. All right. Uh, your your second. Yeah, my second is the assassination of Shadow Spinner. And how mm. badass that scene was. Lady taking his attack. <laughs> Ram cutting through the side of the tent, shouldering him right towards Narayan, who has his rumble, rumble, whatever, around rumble. his neck in arm holders, catching him, as it's described, before his stumbling momentum even ran out. And we're not done here. He breaks free for a second. It ran, I think it was Ram raises him overhead, breaks his <laughs> yeah. his back over his knee. Narayan su- still gets that, that rumble around his neck again, silencing him around, around his throat one more time as he almost breaks free. And we have poor Swan at the front. Oh, so yeah. unnerved by his, the involvement, involvement with this. Everyone's character in a scene that takes, I mean, it takes more, longer to read than it actually takes to actually happen, I'm sure. It's something that happens in seconds, but everyone's character is on full display in such a frantic, tense moment. And of course, once all is said and done, the grisly chopping apart of the Shadow Master's body is done, that one line from Lady that breaks the tension, all right, everyone grab a piece. <laughs> yeah. I fucking lost it when that happened. And, and again, at Will Swan's reaction, this poor guy, this inarticulate, disgusted sound that he makes, questioning as well, and I was just, oh, this poor guy. You know? I liked the scene. It really brought everybody... It, it, it distinguished everybody, is mm-hmm. what it did. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this might be the first time that two of my favorites were <laughs> stolen from me. Oh, yeah? So I what think... was your second favorite? The, the second was the meeting with Mogaba at the end with Croker. Okay. Yeah. And first was this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess the only thing I would add there is um, I had to read it again because I thought I had misread it when he's describing how Rom literally like body slams him over his knee. It's <laughs> like something in a Mortal Kombat, dude. <laughs> I had oh, to go yeah. back and check like the early descriptions of him to see like oh, did I miss something you... like uh, this yeah, guy's a giant. Yeah, <laughs> he's the Undertaker. This guy, he's massive. Yeah, it's it's easy to forget like how big he is because most of his descriptions are about how ridiculous his hair is, like <laughs> yeah, how he's like never washed and his hair is just like ah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Oh man. Okay. Drew, second favorite. My second favorite scene. um, Don't worry, Jared. uh, (laughs) Mine has already been kind of stolen because we talked about it. And that is chapter 75. Um, Just the impact of that final chapter with Lady. and, And how freaking incredible those final words are. Narayan will pay. I will tear his heart out and use it to choke his goddess. They do not know what they have awakened. My strength has returned. They will pay. Long Shadow, my sister, the deceivers, Kina herself, if she gets in my way. Their year of the skulls is upon them. I close the Book of Lady. Oh, preach, brother! Sing it! Oh, it's so good. (laughs) I want more lady because of that. I want more lady. Oh. 
Just, I just want a book full of the lady opening and closing books. <laughs> <laughs> it's so badass. It is so badass. <laughs> now. All right. <laughs> I'm going to go and steal Jared's very favorite scene, probably. If uh, it's already, previous ones have been. It's already been stolen. Any <laughs> indicator. <laughs> My favorite scene. Croker's return to the Taglians and his reuniting with Mergen. Mm. Mergen. Uh, Mergen said, let's hear your story while it's still news. Yeah. You're going to put it in the annals? You've been keeping them up? Embarrassed, the younger man nodded. Only I had to leave them in the city when I came out. I understand. I look forward to reading the Book of Mergen. If it's any good, you've got the job for life. Holy crap, that warmed my heart, that one. And how how must that mm -hmm. have felt as Mergen to hear those words from who you thought was your dead captain? Such yeah. a bro moment. I, you touched on this very briefly a few minutes ago. I love these books, if nothing else, just for those. The camaraderie. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, I, I will add another thing uh, from that scene, uh, a little later in that scene, that I just, like, okay. cracked me up, where Croker's, like, talking to everybody and getting the situation, and, it's, and, he, and he yells over at Mergen, he's like, Mergen, stop making love to that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and at this point, you have a little more context for that thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, especially with, with like, the... Uh, the myth that like in the myth this is literally like the penis of a god <laughs> yeah. oh i didn't even consider that it's I totally like forgot the lance that in, of in, passion oh that's right <laughs> oh my god that just came back together for me thank you drew that one almost went completely over my head but you snatched it back and you brought it yeah. down for me to yeah. take a look thank you that's all right that's, those are my three favorite scenes all right. Well, my one and two are taken, so I have not much to add. All right. <laughs> well, I'm just going to read again my favorite scene. And and uh, listeners, get used to this. Because it was my favorite thing in the last book, and it's my favorite thing in this book. Envoy. Down there. Incessant wind sweeps the plain of stone. It murmurs across gray, a pale gray paving that sprawls from horizon to horizon. It sings around scattered pillars. It tumbles leaves and dust come from afar and stirs the long black hair of a corpse that has lain undisturbed for generations, desiccating. Playfully, the wind tosses a leaf into the corpse's silently screaming mouth, tugs it out again. The pillars might be thought the remnants of a fallen city. They are not. They are too sparsely and randomly placed. Nor are any of them toppled or broken, though some have been etched deeply by gnawing ages of wind. And some seem nearly new, a century old at most. In the dawn, and at the setting of the sun, parts of those columns catch the light and gleam golden. For a few minutes each day, Ulrich characters burn forth from their faces. For those remembered, it is immortality of a sort. In the night, the winds die, and silence rules the place of glittering stone. 
tell me this guy cannot write a f***ing sentence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I always wanted, like, background music to go on through there. It's just... Sublime. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're getting into the good stuff now. This is... Yeah. I, I know a lot of people... Six books in. ...like the books of the North more because, you know, it's croaker. There's a certain, like, levity to it. There's a, a certain style to it and a humor. But in my opinion, Glenn Cook shines the most as a writer in the books of the South and especially coming up in the books of Glittering Stone. Uh, mm. I'm, I'm excited really to excited. see where he goes with it. I'm really yeah. excited. It makes two of us, Jared. I'm also excited. <laughs> so. Even with the short sentences? Yeah, I mean... Oh, God, I don't want to get started again. <laughs> don't give me enough time to dwell on it. But, but I mean, I think it's, it's good that you, you noted, you're like, it's not necessarily a, like a flaw in his writing. You have a problem with how he uses it sometimes. But sometimes you're like, man, it works. Yeah. And it's still, the, the flaw is personal. It honestly is personal because it's just what I've grown up reading and how that has shaped what I expect to get. Oh, it's a sure. personal issue. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So uh, we've just wrapped up our discussion of Dreams of Steel. And uh, at least as far as our listeners are concerned, we actually forgot to do a final draft. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how that happened. But in in uh, over 100 episodes we've recorded, um, we, we have somehow made it this far before forgetting a final draft. Uh, but we are recording this at a later date, and uh, and so uh, I'm going to hand it off to Rob, since I know you uh, you weren't weren't drinking anything too exciting for for Dreams of Steel. <laughs> yeah, no, no. For Dreams of Steel, I was drinking, and I'm lucky I just happened to bring the same exact bottle. Uh, obviously, it's not the exact same bottle; it's another bottle <laughs> of the same brand. I'm still drinking water for this week, and I actually did switch it up by going. From Dasani to, as you can see, Aquafina. Mm. Whoa, whoa, take it easy. Or take it, it easy. I stepped it down. <laughs> so, right here, I'm, I'm drinking this good old classic dihydrogen monoxide and lubricate the organs. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, Jared, do you remember what you were drinking last week? Uh, nope. Okay. A beer. No worries. Well, uh, I do remember what I was drinking because, as usual, I had a... Uh, um, a thematically appropriate beer. Uh, We're all shocked. Yep. It was a bourbon barrel-aged Russian Imperial Stout from Calusa Brewing Company in Florida. And Calusa is... Uh, um, they, they occupy kind of an interesting spot in the Florida scene where, you know, they do some good stuff. Everything I've tried from Calusa has been at least good, if not amazing. Um, but they're working kind of in the shadow of some some bigger, more um, notable breweries. Uh, you know, Angry Chair, Jay Wakefield, Cigar City, you know, some of these just uh, notorious breweries for various reasons. And Clusa's sort of riding along in their shadow, but they're doing good stuff. And this beer was also really good. As I said, it was a, a bourbon barrel-aged 
Russian Imperial Stout, 12.5% ABV. And uh, it was very strong bourbon, very strong wood, uh, you know, kind of like that toasted oak that you'll get in a, in a really good uh, barrel-aged stout. It was, it was a solid beer. But it was called Sworn to the Dark. Hmm. <laughs> oh! Yeah, so like that. Uh, so that that goes out to Lady for making probably the biggest mistake of her career. Uh, <laughs> yeah, her career, which I'm I'm sure she's really concerned about. Yeah, yeah. So I think that brings us to the end of this episode. This has been episode 98 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Oh my god! Next up, oh my god, we will be diving right into bleak seasons. Uh. You know, get ready, because that book is a trip. Um, <laughs> as, as we mentioned earlier, this is, this is getting into Mergen's annals. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, if you want to support the podcast, check us out on Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. You can get early access to our episodes or, uh, you know, read our monthly newsletter, monthly short fiction written by Rob or myself. We have bonus episodes, tons of fun stuff. Check us out there. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yep. And uh, our very special guest, and apparently our peon, which I'm, I'm down for that. <laughs> I'll like have a, a better peon. honorific for you next week, I promise. <laughs> uh, Jared Livingston. Thanks for coming on again, Jared. Thanks, guys. Yeah. So, thanks for listening, and as always, we'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone.